Welcome to In the Studio with Michael Card. We're excited to feature this classic edition of the program from sessions at the Mole End Studio in Franklin, Tennessee. What you'll hear now was recorded several years ago. Though some of the details about guests and ministries may have changed, the powerful lessons from the music and conversations are timeless. Our web and email address hasn't changed, but now you can connect via Facebook or Twitter when you search for Michael Card. We hope to hear your reactions to this classic edition of In the Studio. is in the studio with Michael Card, who just gave me the cue to talk. I'm Wayne Shepherd. You're getting pretty good at this producing. Oh, I know, right? When you come in. <laughs> Michael, I'm sure glad you chose to live in Franklin, Tennessee. Yeah. Of all the places we could be originating this program from, it sure is fun to come here. And yeah, we could be out in the middle of, who knows, careful, somewhere. Careful. I, know, I, know. <laughs> I don't want to offend anybody. We have a number of friends joining us today in the studio. Dr. Larry Crabb will be back for another conversation about prayer. Uh, it's so refreshing to talk to Larry about prayer. Well, it's basically when he starts the conversation by saying, "My, you know, my prayer life was horrible. I, I didn't know, I didn't know <laughs> yeah. what to do." So he's been he's been meditating on this and looking in the Finally, scriptures. Somebody so. I can identify with. Absolutely. Yeah. We've got a friend in the studio with us. We're calling him Jim. Nothing more than that. Just simply Jim yeah. will be with us to talk about India. Yeah, and Jim is a close friend of mine, and he is one of the most Christ-like people I've ever known. He was our pediatrician before he uh, was called to become a missionary in India. And taking our children to, to, to Jim was like taking them to Jesus. It was an amazing thing. So We'll talk with Jim. Good guy. The second half of the program we're reserving for Ron Block, a new name here in the studio. But yes. for anybody who knows uh, music in Nashville, Ron's name is well known. Yes, he's uh, been guitar player for Allison Krauss for years and years and also a great banjo player. And uh, and has a, uh, been a faithful uh, witness to Christ in that world for all those years, and in fact, everybody knows you know where Ron stands, yeah. and, uh, and and it'll, it'll be great to hear him tell his story. Ron will play guitar and sing and play banjo here, yeah. and a mandolin player will join him as well. We'll yeah. get to all that in the second half of the program here yeah. today. Well, I think the best place to start, given all that we have to do today, is to ask you to sing here in the studio. Let's do. This is Psalm one thirty nine. Mm-hmm. Search me and know me. Settle on the far side of the 
Michael, Search Me, that song is so appropriate for the conversation we're going to have now with Dr. Larry Crabb, who rejoins us here in the studio this week. Larry, nice to be with you. Great to be here again. Talking about Larry's book, The Papa Prayer, and we'll talk more about Search Me here in just a moment. But as we've been talking about prayer, we've also been looking at some psalms, and I have Psalm 130 in front of me. I just want to read this and get your reaction to it, Larry. From the depths of despair, O Lord, I call for your help. Hear my cry, O Lord. Pay attention to my prayer. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive? But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. I am counting on the Lord. Yes, I am counting on him. I have put my hope in his word. I long for the Lord more than centuries long for the dawn. Yes, more than centuries long for the dawn. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is unfailing love. His redemption overflows. He himself will redeem Israel from every kind of sin. And you only appreciate that when you pray from the ditch. That's where the guy's praying from, I gather, as yeah, I hear that yeah. psalm. And when the Lord gave that parable about uh, the Good Samaritan, you know, and uh, I think the way we normally read that is is that we, we normally feel like we're the ones that got to go looking for somebody in the ditch and be the Good Samaritan. And mm-hmm. I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think what he's saying is we're all in the ditch waiting for the one Good Samaritan to come. Hmm. Because the guy that was asking the question was, you know, what else do I need to do? And the Lord wasn't saying, well, if you're just a better person, everything will be fine. Mm-hmm. He wasn't saying that at all. I think he was saying that, you know, you're, you're in the ditch and we're all in the ditch. And that's the best place from which to pray hmm. because that's where we are. Without him, I mean, think where we are. Yeah. And to recognize that uh, there's a darkness in our souls. There's an emptiness in our souls. We're yearning for what is not yet. And when, I'm, when I recognize that there's some tough stuff going on in my own soul as I face my red dot, as we've talked about before, where I really am, there can be there can be seasons of darkness we shouldn't be afraid of. Well, that's that's a poor way to put it. Yeah, well, we have to be afraid of we it. We talked but, about uh, trying to hide that from God. Stop last hiding time. it from yeah. God. Yeah, hmm. and then maybe from the ditch we can learn what the word prayer really means. Hmm. This is the third of expected four conversations with Larry about his book, The Papa Prayer. And Papa is an acronym. Uh, the first P is for present, present, present? yourselves to mm-hmm. God. Uh, a, attend mm-hmm. to who God is and how he's been faithful to us. Uh, right. Three we'll talk about today, and that's purging ourselves mm-hmm. of sin and uh, things that would hinder us from yeah, fellowship exactly. with him. Uh, the, the, the fourth letter is A, approach. We'll talk about that next week. But take us to the purge, the uh, purifying ourselves. This is going to be a, a hard thing to do, I think, for some of us. Well, and it's partly because we have a rather flabby definition of the word sin. You know, I've asked audiences over the past, uh, when's the last time you repented? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and a lot of people scratch their heads. And uh, yeah, man. I got saved eight years I ago. I got saved eight I, years ago. What's the problem? <laughs> or, oh, you know, I did uh, I did speed little yesterday. I went 60 miles an hour in a 40-mile-an-hour zone. Yeah. I had to repent of that. Yeah, but I said sorry to the officer. So. I said sorry. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't get a ticket, so God was merciful. Um, but the, but there, really, there really needs to be an understanding of sin that... Um, that, 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 that is far more profound than I'm afraid we're thinking about in our culture sometimes. Because if I understand what the word sin means, it's, um, it, it, it's, it's putting anything above God, valuing anyone or anything more than I value him. That's missing the mark. That's falling short of the glory of God. And uh, for me to value anything, and think about it any given moment, and this will sound crazy and silly, and people will think I'm some obsessive who needs 10 years of therapy, which is probably true, but... <laughs> But when I'm talking to somebody, like in the in the car, Wayne, uh, this morning, I was telling you a joke. 
Now, what is most important to me at that moment, that you appreciate my sense of humor and laugh? Is there something in my soul that demands you think I'm funny? And if I am, I'm putting something above God. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of a little mm-hmm. crazy and nitpicky and all that. But <laughs> but uh, I call my wife on the phone when I'm on the road, and sometimes she doesn't read the cue card right. Sometimes she doesn't say, well, honey, how is it really going? Mm-hmm. You know, And I say, well, honey, you know, I'm working hard out here. You might want to pay a little more attention. Um, so, so sin is all over the place. And what is getting in the way of my relationship with God? That's what purging is all about. Does that mean, though, sometimes that we, we've, we've got good things to purge? I mean, I, I heard somebody uh, ask the other day, have you ever repented of your righteousness? <laughs> Can that not be something that comes in between us and God, too? You know, I used to do a lot of teaching on marriage. I probably still ought to but because uh, I'm still confused about it. But I remember saying to a lot of audiences, until you realize that when you kiss your wife, you can be in the act of sin. Mm. You don't understand what the word sin is. Mm. You mean putting her before God? Putting her before God or maybe even more obviously coming home late and giving her a kiss so she can't scold you for getting late because you you put your lips over her (laughs) mouth so she can't talk to you. (laughs) You know, what is your agenda? What Mm. is your motivation? The purposes of a man's heart are like deep waters, Proverbs 20 and verse 5 says. And and, uh, the the scriptures search the heart and the mind to reveal the thoughts and intents of the heart, Hebrews 4.12. And the whole idea that... That, that at the core of my soul, I have an agenda. And if the agenda is anything other than the pleasure of God, if the agenda ultimately, the very first thing, is anything other than the agenda of God, nothing's wrong. I just, we just enjoyed a chocolate chip cookie a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Nothing's wrong with enjoying a good cookie. Nothing enjoy, wrong with enjoying good grandkids. I got four of them. They're wonderful. I love it. But the minute there's something that values someone or something more than God, um, and my agenda is to get more pleasure out of someone or something more than God because someone's more enjoyable than God, then I'm an idolater. Sounds well, impossible. It is. And that's the whole point. What is the Howard, Howard Hendricks used to say that uh, Christian life in difficult is impossible. Mm-hmm. But that's what the word grace is all about. And so when I come before him, it's not so much to clean my act up. It's to live in brokenness and to discover that brokenness is the opportunity for joy. Well, do you trust in the spirit at that point to reveal those things that need to be purged? Because, I mean, you're all... Aren't you always going to delude yourself? Uh, self-deceit is a, is a huge issue. Uh, Jim Houston, one of my heroes, um, he makes the comment that, that, um, that the real purpose is, the, the real necessity of community is to correct our self-deceptive nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's maybe a poor way to put it, not to correct our nature, but to reveal why we're self-deceptive. And um, yeah, there needs to be that. I, I, I want to say this, though. I, I, don't, I wouldn't want any, anybody to hear me say, all right, spend every day being obsessive about your sin. Mm-hmm. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, man, go out and if it's, a, if it's a sunshiny day, enjoy the sunshine. If it's a hot cup of coffee, enjoy it. If it's cookie, enjoy it. You know, if it's a conversation with your spouse, have a good time. I enjoy ministry. You know, it's, it's whatever. It's good times. But an awareness of God. You search me. That's, mm-hmm. what you, that's what you were saying about. You search me. And search me through a friend, maybe through my wife, through my kids, whatever. You search me. And I want to stay open to whatever right now is getting in the way of my relationship with you. I'm not obsessing about it, but I'm open to it. I'm available to be convicted so I can purge. Mm-hmm. It seems like we would. I, I would tend to obsess if I was desperate and feeling that there wasn't anything I could do about it. But if we trust God that he can do something about it, uh, that's almost like the opposite of being obsessed about it. Uh, what is the opposite of being obsessed? Say, say that again. That was good. Well, I, I don't know. I I'm not about sure what before. I was saying, but it seems like a, there's there's there must be a certain degree of fear and obsession. I, I obsess because there's nothing I can do about it. But trusting, being able to trust God when I purge these things seems like that would reverse that. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Almost when you're 
when there's a fear in the obsession, it, it, the fear likely comes out of a, the illusion that I can be in control of this somehow. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. when I realize that I really don't control much, but that God somehow is in charge and he'll reveal to me what needs to be done, then he'll, he's already forgiven me for it. Mm-hmm. And he will empower me to be a little mm-hmm. godlier as time goes on. He's taken his time with me on that one. But, mm-hmm. but um, as he's doing that, then maybe I can relax and rest and trust a little bit more. In, in in repentance and rest, how does Isaiah put it? Is rejoicing. Is, that's, I, yeah, that's where it yeah. is, yeah. Larry, it, it happens to me that I'll often uh, shove this stuff under the rug because I'm, I just say I'm too busy. I, can't, I don't have time to think about that right now. And think how we justify that. You know, I, I don't, I, I'm doing good things, Lord. And that's the point. Yeah. Because I, I really don't need to deal with this because, hey, my life's going fine. Hey, come on! I'm doing a good radio show here. I'm I'm writing a good book. I did a good seminar last week. You know, right. I gave a couple of good talks at a conference last week. I, I performed. This, I performed good. <laughs> so I don't need all this stuff. You know, I think we we really set our sights too low. That yeah, I can perform. I can I can pull life off without God for a season. But I can't be what He longs for me to be without God, and I can't love you well without God. Mm. So what I really want is out of my reach without Him, mm. and that's where the purging starts becoming a necessity. First Peter one fifteen says, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. <laughs> There's a lightweight verse, huh? Yeah. yeah. Just <laughs> right. drop that in the middle of this one. Well, and that's where the word that's where the word grace comes in. That um, obviously I'm not there. I'm falling short all the time. Um, what was the first thesis of Luther, of Luther's ninety five? I don't have it memorized, but the gist of you know when he began the Reformation with the ninety five theses in the Wittenberg door, he, it was something about our Master wants us to live in. Um, in daily repentance. Hmm. It was something about that. I didn't quite get that right, but it's close. And um, I wonder if our culture is doing that. I wonder hmm. if I'm doing that. We're talking about this in the context of prayer. Yes. What part does purging ourselves in prayer play? What's the interaction? Between? Oh, it draws me closer to him. The, the, the whole issue of, of purging is not, oh, I was a bad boy, please forgive me. But the whole issue is what what is what is going on in me right now that stands between us and our fellowship? And it's leading to something. That's leading to something. This is not just getting scolded and getting slapped on the wrist. This is this is clearing out some obstacles to intimacy. Because um, I mean, there's you know, God seems to have this idea that fellowship with Him is the best thing going. And, mm-hmm. um, we don't always agree with that, but He's right. And so we're saying, in essence, I'm willing to let go of these things so that I can just hold on to You. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. It's uh, you know Lewis's great divorce. You know whatever, um, what, whatever, whatever is uh, more important to you than than, than me, um, I, I'm I'm going to get rid of that. Mm. And am I willing to let him get rid of that? Mm. Am I willing to let him get rid of that? I, one one story occurs to me. My father-in-law is now with the Lord, godly godly man who I'm grateful for. My parents a lot really am actually. Um, they're with the Lord now. When my um, my brother-in-law was born 59 years ago, I guess it was now. He was born very ill. And um, as, as the story is told, my father-in-law was by his crib as he came home as a sick baby. Life or death was an issue. And he finally came to the point of saying, Lord, I haven't seen this before, but my petitionary prayer has really been a demand because nothing matters more to me than that this kid live. Mm-hmm. God, forgive me for that. That's purging. Mm-hmm. I want my son to live. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not looking for my son to die. I want him to live. But God, forgive me for something getting in between you and me. You are God. I'm not. You do as you choose. Now, the story is a happy ending. He lived and was healthy, but mm. that wasn't a technique, by the way. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. but, um, yeah. but still, it was real. Oh, and, that, and that was purging, and it brought him closer to the Father. You wrote the Papa Prayer as a personal journey, didn't you? 
Oh, my. Been a Christian for, oh, my goodness, 55 years. I was saved when I was minus 10. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, and I've said this before. I think I mentioned this in a, one of earlier shows, that, that prayer has been just a very weak part of my life. And not only did I get confused about prayer, which led me to write this book or admit how confused I was, but even more than that, um, the older I get, I'm 63 now, the, the, the older I get, the more I'm aware, um, I can start crying over this one here, I want to know God well. I really, really do. I want to know what it is to dance with the Trinity. I want to know what it is to have communion with the Father. I read John Owen on communion with the Trinity, you know, with the Father, with the Son, with the Spirit. So anything becoming, that stands in the way. Anything that stands go. in the way, I want to get rid of. And so this purging thing was just a part of that. Wow. Well, I sure wish we had more time. Um, we are going to have one more conversation with Larry next week here about the Popper Prayer, Michael. That's the that's the good news in ending our conversation today. Yeah, and we'll, we'll have to look at the fourth uh, step in... Uh, in Papa, in the Papa Approaching prayer. God. Yeah. Well, some more good news, and that is Larry's book is available to our listeners. And, and we don't do this lightly. We, we choose uh, to make things available to listeners, Mike, that have impacted us right. and that we believe in. And this certainly is one of those books. Right. And it, and it, it, is, it is great for me. It's a wonderful uh, thing to be able to say for any amount uh, and, of course, I keep appealing to – I think of all the people who really don't have anything right. and, and, and will still – They'll get the book for free yeah. if, uh, if if they if they want it and they feel they need it. But Be generous if you can, but we understand. Yeah. Sure, a gift of any size. And the book, The Papa Prayer, is available. You can go online. We've made it as easy as possible to get this book, believe me. Just go to studiooffer.org, studiooffer.org, or call 1-800-613-5162. Yeah. Ask for The Papa Prayer. Yeah, so I'm giving Larry Crabb books away. It's, well, I've been giving Larry Crabb books away for years anyway, but I've been buying them. That's been the problem. Hey, I love you. <laughs> I owe you a cup of coffee, my friend. (laughs) Michael, let's continue our program today by focusing on the country of India. We've got a friend in the studio with us. We're calling him Jim. Nothing more than that. Just simply Jim. Yeah. Uh, for obvious reasons, but we're excited about this place where God is at work. And this is our second uh, chance to get to talk together about uh, India. Mm. And so welcome back. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. Uh, Jim's been a good friend for a long time. And while he was gone, he was sorely missed. And <laughs> I remember the first time I saw your face, knew that you were back. I was glad to <laughs> glad to see you back. So, As we established welcome. last time, Jim, you were in India on for medical reasons, uh, training and so forth. And uh, But you got to talk about the gospel with people as well. So right. thanks for those stories. One main question we have for you uh, is what did you learn that you bring back that we need to know from the church in India? Well, thank you. It's a great question. Um, I wish my wife was here because she's more articulate. But um, as a family and as an individual, I learned to count as precious people from every denomination and to realize how God uses our unique personalities along with our experiences to mold us into the Christians that we are. And I absolutely adored worshiping with people from Pentecostal background, Baptist background, Catholic background, you name it, but people who clung to Jesus and counted him as the great pearl um, that, that they gave their life to. Mm. So what I learned from them was a passion for the living Lord as opposed to a, a religion. Mm. And then secondly, I would have to say that the simplicity of their faith was often a testimony to us 
to lean more into Jesus and into his word, especially through prayer. These people had nothing, and all they had was Jesus. And so as they would pray, they prayed those biblical-type prayers of desperation and hunger, knowing they had no bread to give to their neighbor, but knowing that he would supply, and watching the many, many times that God responded miraculously, not for the passions of the flesh, of course, but for the needs of his kingdom, was uh, often things that brought us to tears. So we loved seeing that in the growing church in India. So to pray, give us this day our daily bread, <laughs> has a different ring to it there than yeah. than here. Yeah, one house we stopped in, um, the man and the woman had to feed us. Well, they had three eggs in the entire house for their family uh, for their following day. That wasn't even for that day. But they went neighbor uh, from neighbor to neighbor, house to house, and got enough eggs to give us a small omelet and then to um, make sure we were fed before they were fed. And that's how they lived every day of their life. Mm -hmm. It was precious. Jim, often when we talk about places like India here in the broadcast, and we try to get around the world through our guests who Mm -hmm. come to the studio here, Mike, we have listeners respond and say, well, what could I do in a place like India? Where, Where would you suggest they start? Maybe they're a professional like you were, but maybe they're not. Um, yeah, another good question. Um, I, I attack the question, though, a little bit in saying, what can I do? Um, I find people who go to other cultures and countries, especially to interact with the church of that culture, comes to it to do something, but really is often not called to do something, but is really called to learn. And mm-hmm. so I would just counsel people to not be afraid to be a learner. If you feel God is calling you to go and to interact with people of another culture, just know that it's often going to be in that posture that he's going to call you. And as you go, it should be as a learner, as a prayer supporter, and then to wait and to watch and to get feedback from others. Americans are notorious for being uh, overachievers and controllers, and in Mm. India, no less, uh, Mm. we're often looked down on. So if anybody feels a call to go, I sure hope they go before their church and their Mm. elders and people dear in their lives. And if they're really confirmed in that, they should go and they should act as, as a foot washer first. Did you learn that lesson on the way in or the way out of <laughs> India, Jim? <laughs> that was a painful lesson that I still haven't fully learned. But uh, our two years in another country working among the diaspora of the Indians mm-hmm. was where I, I painfully learned that lesson, but mm-hmm. then with joy received mm-hmm. it. Very interesting. Very humbling. So you were prepared to go then into India itself. Yeah. Well, that, that, was a, that was a brilliant way to prepare uh, to go going to an Indian community in another country, mm-hmm. and, and did you do language skills and all the rest there? Well, uh, nobody counted me worthy. <laughs> My language skill ability is zero. But uh-huh. um, no, it it uh, it was another one of those examples of how God often gives enough light for the next two steps, uh-huh. but not the whole path. Yeah, Billy Lane used to say, "God calls us to the level of our own inadequacy." Absolutely. So that when you have to be in a place in ministry where if God doesn't show up. You're going to fail miserably. It sounds like that's that, that's what your experience was. Yes, and we treasure yeah. it now. It's yeah. painful at the time, but it was beautiful to watch. Yeah. So your qualifications, though, and and they're they're impressive. We won't go into them, but but uh, the your medical degree and all the rest, um, that was put in a different perspective because it's still a gift. It's still a useful tool. I mean, we're not going to you know play play down that part of it. But there was a a whole other what a level of appreciation for. What you had to offer, maybe? I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth. No, but you're right. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine years ago, same initials as yours, uh-huh. happened to be you, <laughs> said that, uh, what do we have that we haven't been given? So uh-huh. you quoted that scripture, and I remembered that. And um, 
any gifts we have are gifts anyway from the Lord. Mm-hmm. So to go in knowing that that may not be the complete set of gifts needed is, is a good first step. And then uh, it's been said also, well said, to make haste slowly wherever mm-hmm. you go. And knowing that God's calling for you may not be what you think it is or was, and his uh, specific um, tasks for you to do may be something also very different. So mm. a relational um, task may be much more than a project. So to encourage one believer to lead one to the Lord through patience and love may be the only reason somebody's called out of their culture. Mm. But that's a beautiful thing to watch. Mm. So yes, I learned quickly to drop my expectations. And even though I slowly opened my hand um, I saw that God did use uh, gifting, some gentleness and some mm-hmm. patience, and most of all, the fact that this grace is so precious to me because I'm such a natural unbeliever mm-hmm. and such a hard-headed man that as I shared what God was doing in my life with vulnerability, that's what attracted others to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Jim and Mike, you know, when Jim was sharing about uh, going to another country where there was an Indian population to learn some of these lessons, how about right in our own neighborhoods? where we have people, just about every nationality on earth, coming to America these days and settling into communities, we can find places of service right there and learn a lot. I'd love to give a quick plug here. Probably in the community where your listeners are, there will be a faith-based clinic where churches could come together to support through volunteer effort, even just to hand out magazines or to make home visits or to just listen to people who never have enough time to be listened to fully. Hmm. People coming to to our country from other countries often have horrible stories, not not the Indians, but others. And um, I find in America an unbelievable transformation taking place, yeah. and we should not miss this opportunity. Jim, it's obvious from this conversation and our previous conversation here in the studio that God is at work in India. What are some of the misconceptions, at least one, that we have about what life is like in India that you can help us get over here as we pray for that country? Well, two examples quickly, and they're polar opposites. One is that India is the land of Gandhi. It's a beautiful, restful, peaceful land full of gentle people. And that's just very far from the truth. There is more evil and corruption in that land than, than you can even mention. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not unlike many, many other countries, including America. Mm-hmm. So no place is perfect. But on the other hand, many people have the misconception that India is just a land of dreadful heat and mosquitoes and malaria and whatever. And that's not true. Uh, the south of India would blow away many Americans uh, to see the uh, cleanliness and the beauty of the land, and the, of course, many of our must, many of us are learning the high intelligence of mm-hmm. many Indians. Mm-hmm. Of course, many here in America are physicians and engineers, whatnot, are, are Indian. So it is a land of contrast, and you you just cannot encapsulate that land. So the, that's the most important thing is to say, drop many of your misconceptions and. Just know that it's a land of mystery and intrigue, but also um, much more. Hmm. Well, our time is almost up. Uh, again, it went too quickly, mm-hmm. but uh, thanks again. Again, I'm glad you're back, but thank you for uh, for what you're doing here in Nashville. Uh, thank you for um, uh, letting us know and letting the listeners know that uh, India is a place we need to start praying about and think. some of us think... Uh, think about going to. You've given us a window to the world, uh, the world of India here today. Thank you, Jim. Thanks for the opportunity. And with that, we've come to the halfway point here in the studio with Michael Card. I want to remind you that we're offering Larry Crabb's book, The Papa Prayer, when you send a gift of any amount to this ministry. Find out how you can receive your copy by calling toll-free 1-800-613-5162 or go online to studiooffer.org to request your copy of Larry's book, The Papa Prayer. 
And there's more about this program and Michael's music and teaching ministry online at michaelcard.com. In just a few moments, we'll be back with more music from guitarist Ron Block of Union Station here in the studio with Michael Card. Coming up next week in the studio with Michael Card, Michael will open the word and teach on the life of Jesus. And there'll be guest conversations and plenty of music woven throughout the hour that will inspire you to follow Christ in new and deeper ways. The instruments are tuned and the Bible is open, so make sure you join us for this unforgettable session. Look for the post and invite other like minds to hear this program on Apple, Spotify, or Google Play. All the details at michaelcard.com. We are back in the studio with Michael Card. Ron Block joins us with the banjo. Sierra Hall plays mandolin now. Listen to this, Seneca Square Dance. God's people said, yeehaw. <laughs> that is Ron Block, Michael. You've brought Ron and Sierra Hull into the studio here today. Well, they brought themselves. I think they're <laughs> holding their own. Thanks for coming, guys. I uh, appreciate you Thank having you. us. Yeah. Where does that come from? That tune? I mean, no. I mean, the ability to play a song like that. Where do you guys come up with that? You know, it, it comes from being a, uh, a complete nerd in your bedroom <laughs> when you're a teenager for hours hey. and hours. I mean... <laughs> I mean, Sierra's cool and everything. Yeah, but because she is a teenager. Yeah, I was a total nerd, yeah. <laughs> no, it's sad. We are, we're all musical nerds. Yeah. Sierra, how long have you been playing a mandolin like that? You're not very old. Well, I've been playing since I was eight, and I've been playing about seven years now, oh. something like that, so. Michael. Long time. <laughs> yeah, I know the, the thought, I know the line you're about to say. I've got socks, socks older, older than, than that. Sierra. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, no, well. 
It is great to have Time both of you. Time for a yard sale. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is great to have you here. Help us get to know you, Ron. What are you all about? Boy, that's a broad question. Mm-hmm. I don't even know where to start with that. Well, I, I'm, and let me start. Okay. Uh, most of us know Ron uh, as... as uh, part of uh, Alison Krauss's band, mm-hmm. playing guitar and playing uh, banjo. Union Station. But there's so much more uh, to him. And then I, I, I've i heard you playing on people like Fernando Ortega and yeah. uh, Andrew Peterson, uh, people's records like that. So it's been great to get to know you slowly. We met at, at, a, at a actually a wedding the other yeah, day. Yeah. And uh, and hopefully we're going to get to go on the road together some and play in the future. That'd I'm be looking great. If that can happen. So. Yep. That's that's the next step, but then there's the whole other Ron Block that we want to get to to know, if yeah. we can, to start anyway today. Yep. Brother in the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh that's foundational. I was uh I was raised raised Baptist. My mom got saved when I was about uh I think I was about four, something like that. And then I, I got saved when I was six, which I don't really remember <laughs> and then kind of uh you know, went went through uh quite a few years before I really understood what was going on. Mm-hmm. So. How, how does your faith uh, intersect your playing? I mean, the, the bluegrass world is a, is a whole world in and of itself. And I know from growing up, uh, there was always the gospel song at the end of the bluegrass. I mean, the Earl's, you know, Flatt and Scruggs would always play the hymn at the end. And that's, I know that's a part of the bluegrass world, but uh, that's all I know. I mean, it's part. It's definitely part of the tradition of bluegrass, yeah. and uh, I think it it's a, a carryover from the the older days where, you know, where the Bible and the gospel was was much more an integral part of everyday life. It was, uh, and death was a much more ever present thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you didn't, you know, you lived out in the country, and when grandma passed away, you know. You dressed her out yourself, you mm-hmm. know, and did all that. So, so death was a lot more on people's minds. So, I think the the solution to death was also part of the entertainment, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that they consoled themselves with. Mm-hmm. So interesting. You describe as a child, and then you know, future decisions after that, and about uh, about the spiritual things in your life. I think that's true of a lot of us. You know, we kind of wake up as we go along to what we really are. Signing yeah. off on, don't you think, Michael? Well, when did that happen with you? You said you came to faith at six, and mm-hmm. then yeah, all of us sort of sort that out and make it our own. Yeah. But when when did that become uh, current? I mean, real in that sense. When did it become your own? Well, I I uh, I've read the Bible, and uh, my mom got me uh, some uh, Bible books. You know, sort of Bible story books when I was about five or six, mm-hmm. and I remember reading those and reading the Bible from the time I could read, but, you know, God was sort of the, you know, the distant cosmic policeman God. Mm -hmm. I still sort of had that view. And uh, it wasn't really fully until I was about about 16, I got into this um, church, 16 or 17, that was pretty legalistic. And and I ended up after nine months going to the pastor and and saying, I'm not sure that everything you're teaching is right. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure why. But I'm going to find out. And he said, of course, let us study with you. And I said, no, I'm going to study on my own. <laughs> and then really, real soon after that, I met 
uh, a guy who's who's been a longtime great friend of mine who explained to me one night that we're saved by trusting, not by what we do and what we don't do. So mm-hmm. so we're saved by trusting in God, trusting his promises, trusting his love. And that really, from all the uh, Bible that I'd read up till then for years and years, it was a major epiphany where uh, just scores of Bible verses slammed into their proper context all mm-hmm. of all at once in mm-hmm. one evening. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty astounding. And so I, I ended up with a you know, a promise-based, uh, faith-based, reliance-based attitude toward God after mm-hmm. that. And then, and then, of course, I ended up later having another major epiphany when I was about 30. Mm-hmm. You have a new CD out, Ron. What's yes, it called? Yes, it's called Doorway. And you're going to do a couple more songs here in the studio for us yep. today. Are they both on the CD? Uh, yes, they are. Okay, we're going to hear first The Kind of Love. Yep. Uh, you're going to pick up the guitar for this one. By the way, you're playing that banjo uh, Michael, I I was uh, watching you eyeing that banjo. Um, oh yeah, if we go, if we do get to go on the road together, uh, I need some lessons. <laughs> oh, great, yeah. great, sounds good. <laughs> but now you're going to pick up the guitar, and Sarah's going to join you with mandolin on this. Great, it's called yes. the kind of love. Ron Block in the studio.
how I want to make you know what is real. There's nothing to compare to the kind of love I feel. Was that a song that came out of that second experience? You say when you were around thirty? Yeah, it actually it actually did. I I went through a uh, uh, actually let's let's go back a little bit. Uh, in my teens, I started getting self worth from playing music. Yeah, and uh, of course, God says that's an idol, and anything you get your security and worth and sense of meaning from other than God, and uh, and so I began to build that. Uh, through my teen years and feeling good about myself through playing music. And mm-hmm. when I joined Allison's band, it was, of course, the the pinnacle of, wow, I must, right. I must be good, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and it wasn't, you know, we got in the studio and my perfectionistic tendencies started really crashing me and, uh, mm. and started feeling like I couldn't play and, you know, I was terrible. And so since that was crashing, my self-worth was crashing. And, mm-hmm. and so the other thing was Mr. Nice Guy started crashing, which was my other false identity. Mm. And uh, anyway, so I went through this crash and then went through a reprogramming, radical, radical reprogramming of my mind that God did um, with uh, identity verses. You know, I'm a king, I'm a priest, I'm holy, I'm accepted in the beloved, I'm one spirit with the Lord. All those truths, I began to finally grasp onto them and believe them. Mm-hmm. And uh, and trust God that those things were real, even though what I felt was the opposite. So mm-hmm. I had to believe against the circumstances and the way I felt. And uh, eventually God reprogrammed my thinking. And so that song, The Kind of Love, is is kind of is from God's point of view, yeah. uh, how he thinks about us. Well, once you embrace that sort of redefinition of yourself, um, what happens then when you, when you turn back to the music? You've still got the you know, the ear to hear things the way they should be. I mean, you've, you, aren't, aren't you still pr- striving you, you for the perfection? You don't lower your standards, or? right? No, you don't lower your standards at uh-huh. all, but you realize, and uh, Allison said this to me a while back, she said, perfection isn't attainable. Mm-hmm. Uh, excellence is. Hmm. And so you, I still strive for excellence, but there comes a time, especially with, with live performance, you have to let it go. Yeah. You know, where where I used to make a mistake and I would hammer on myself for yeah, it. Yeah. The whole show and I would waste the show yeah, yeah. for the one mistake I yeah, made. Yeah. And God, God, you know, with our sins, just, you know, it's out of his consciousness. The minute we turn back to him, sure. he goes, I don't even remember Forgot that. It. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we're supposed to do when I, you know, when I'm up there and make a mistake on the banjo, forget it immediately. Well, what I've noticed just over the years watching people who are really virtuosos, uh, there tend to be two kinds. They're the, they're the people who, when they play you... Um, you do focus on them, and, and, and it tends to shut you down creatively. I could never be, you know, that player. I could never mm-hmm. do that. But then there are those people who, who are just as good, and sometimes, in fact, often they're the best people, and yet when you hear them play, it, it, it opens you up. It sparks you yeah. to want to do it. Yeah, and, and I think what tends to happen is uh, they, they point away, and I see this in the miracles of Jesus. He always points away from to him, away from himself to God. People yeah. never praise Jesus. They always praise God when yeah. he does things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, um, you know, well, Phil Kage is my, my favorite example. People hear Phil 
and they go, wow, it, didn't God do something really cool when he made yeah. Phil Keggy? Yeah. And I think it has to do with with his own persona when yeah. he makes his Absolutely. music. And it has something to do, I think, with what you're talking about. It's not about me. Right. So when the mistakes happen, the mistakes aren't about me either. Right. Yeah. And you just let it go out of your consciousness. And you can't fully improvise and uh, and be in the moment if you're thinking about the past moment. Mm-hmm. You can't be spontaneous and be yourself musically, creatively, or as a person if you're living in the past moment where you just blew it. That's mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons we need to turn quick. Uh, Norman Grubb says, quick down, quick up. Mm-hmm. When you blow it, you get back up and start, thank God for the blood, and you move on. Mm-hmm. And well, it's these, the same deal. These lessons go way beyond music. You, oh, you so, do absolutely. realize that, don't mm-hmm. you? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know you've re- you've talked around about uh, how God really um, grabbed hold of you. Uh, were there people? Were there mentors? People that came alongside you to to help you see this as well? Absolutely. Um, I I got uh, well. I, I began uh, in the mid '90s during that crash phase, and I was learning who I am in Christ. I began to go into Christian chat rooms, and I ended up finding there was this woman online that I started talking in instant messages to back and forth, and she had a real handle on these identity truths. Hmm. And she had an uncanny ability, and and I know it was the Holy Spirit, to reach inside me and grab the thing that I was hanging on to. If there was any uh, sense of self-effort or sort of law in me, she would reach in and she would push that button. Oh, isn't that interesting? Because we often think in negative terms about these chat rooms and all the bad things that can happen. But in yeah. this case, God used it in your life. Yeah, God used it for a while. Uh, I I did that for a while, and then eventually, uh, you know, it's just it became something in my past. It's mm-hmm. not something mm-hmm. that I do anymore. Sure, and but uh, it served a purpose. It served an incredible purpose. I learned an incredible amount about about communication as well as learning who I am in Christ. Mm. So, and then through her, I got into uh, Norman Grubb. And lose uh, one of my favorite favorite writers, and also a woman named Sylvia Pierce, who's a housewife who has a conference every year up in Louisville, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. So, you still get to do what you do. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? Would you ever have to look back and say, "How did I get here, God?" Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I I know looking just looking at my uh, my past and knowing myself inside, I I have no idea where I would be without Christ. I I, I don't know. What what I would have done when I crashed, I don't know what I would have gone to or drugs mm-hmm. or alcohol mm-hmm. or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and I'm sure yeah. that God gives you opportunity in the world in which you operate to uh, shine. Yeah, you don't be that salt and light as well. You're, yep. you're aware of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Michael, let's. Uh, I think we have time for um, for Sierra and Ron to do one more song for us here in the studio. And uh, what have you chosen for the last song? Uh, We're going to do one called uh, Love's Living Through Me When I Do. This is from the new CD. All right, this is Ron Block here in the studio with guitar. Sierra Hall plays mandolin. Love's Living Through Me. The more I try I finally see the writing on the wall The problem lives in what I see A separate him outside, a separate me In 
the desert land of double mind The shadow self is all that I can find The strength to love just can't be found A separate mind is striving, effort bound Gotta see his face in the mirror on the wall Gotta hear his voice in the depth of my own soul Get the heart to see and the doing follows through Love's living through me Time in reality This weakness of the flesh is bound to be The strength of love is veiled and deep Until we find the courage to believe Gotta see his face in the mirror on the wall Gotta hear his voice In the depth of my own soul Get the heart to see And the doing follows through Love's living through me when I do Gotta see his face In the mirror on the wall Gotta hear his voice in the depth of my own soul Get the heart to see And the doing follows through Love's living through me when I do Love's living through me when I do Love's living through me when I do Love's living through me when I do, when I live those things out, when I incarnate those truths. That's right. Yeah, it's a, it's a matter of uh, trusting Christ living through you, in you, through you, and as you, mm-hmm. where, where you're no longer looking at yourself or as if there is any self that is you. It's just him living through you, mm-hmm. and that's the real you. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really it. It's been a treat having both of you here. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. It was fun. Ron, nice to meet you today. Oh, great to be here. Thanks so much. I hope to see you guys back again soon. Excellent. 
And we have had a great time, and we're glad you were able to be with us for this session in the studio with Michael Card. Now, if you have a question, comment, or even a song request, please pass that on to us when you email us at inthestudio at michaelcard.com. And when you get in touch, please let us know how you're hearing this broadcast. Again, our email address is inthestudio at michaelcard.com. Before we go, I want to remind you that we're offering Larry Crabb's book, The Papa Prayer. This book is a great way to review what's been said in our continuing series on prayer. And we're happy to make this book available this week to those who are able to send a gift of any amount to this ministry. Providing this insightful look at prayer is at the center of what we're about. So find out how you can receive your copy by calling toll-free 1-800-613-5162. That's 1-800-613-5162. Or go online to studiooffer.org to request your copy of Larry's book, The Popper Prayer. That's one word, studiooffer.org. And we're thankful for each person who contacts us and generously supports this outreach. Your financial support is a vital link to keep this kind of programming coming your way. So prayerfully consider what part you can have with us when you write us at In the Studio, Grand Rapids, Michigan, 49555. We hope to hear from you soon. Again, that address is In the Studio, Grand Rapids, Michigan, 49555. And the phone number is 1-800-613-5162. Through the web, you can stay connected with all that's going on behind the scenes, find the program audio archives, and learn more about the books and music written and performed by Michael. It's all at michaelcard.com. This program is part of the RBC family of ministries known to millions around the world for the daily devotional, Our Daily Bread. Our producer is Joe Carlson, and I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for being with us in the studio with Michael Card. In the Studio with Michael Card is produced in cooperation with RBC Ministries and the Moody Broadcasting Network.